welcome to Glowing Weak Point. Um, that's how you started, in case you, you didn't know. That oh, was, thank you for reminding that's, me. That's how you would have started it if you had gotten the chance to start it. How's it going? Um, yeah, of course, with me this week, as always, Wombat, Mr. Wombat Wombatson, and myself, of course, John. How has your week been? Do you have any glowing weak points? Um, well, for half the week since we last talked, I've been sick. Ooh. Um, it's got all of the, uh, it's got like half the symptoms of COVID, so I have taken a COVID test, and I'm, I'm waiting for the results back. Yeah, unfortunately, like, so does the flu and just general respiratory problems from uh, i don't know if y'all know about this but it's spring and spring sucks right so it, it could be that although i have taken allergy pills like regularly since i got sick and it, they haven't didn't they've done nothing so yeah it's probably not allergies probably not then but it could just be like a cold or a flu or something but it's enough to keep me, like, I was asleep for half the day yesterday. I took three Eesh. naps. I hate that because you feel like you've wasted the day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, I don't have an infinite number of these. I, I want, to, <laughs> I want to be able to experience them all. Right. Uh, and, and I also had to call out of work, so hopefully... Nothing bad happens yeah. there. Yeah. Um, um, as far as a glowing point to my week, um, you know what? I'll say last night I played a board game with my girlfriend. Oh, what we, game? We played Gatefall, which is this this cool game. It comes with like huge. Huge figures that you play on a, a board with. It, okay. it, it's really fun to move them around. Like the there's an orc character who takes up like like two spaces on the board. Like imagine like squares about one and a half times the size of like a checkers or a chess square. Okay, pretty big he, squares. Yeah, and he takes up two of those, and he's like two inches tall. Wow, no, like. Three or four, maybe, actually. So and this has got to be a big box it comes in. Oh, yeah, it's a it's a big box, and there's, there's seven figures. And Ooh. the game takes a lot longer to play than I thought it would, but it's really fun. Basically, when you, okay. when you, when you play two players, you pick a, a team, and in this, this box, it's called Chapter 1, because I guess they're going to do expansions to it with like new mm -hmm. themes and stuff but you get a set of fantasy characters which include a wizard a dwarf and an orc and you get a set of post-apocalyptic characters which give you like a lot of a couple of ranged characters um a dog you can summon onto the field that like debuffs okay. your enemy and a mutant dude who gets stronger when he's not on the same side as his teammates. Like, the same okay. side as, of the board. Yeah. 
And that sounds like fun. Yeah. Did you win? No, I lost. Okay. Mainly because uh, <laughs> I, I gave her I gave her the the key to to victory. I was like, you know, if you just attack my orc, he's worth two victory points, and you'll win. Mm. And then she attacked my orc after I failed to kill her one of her people, and she killed me. Ah, uh. yeah. Uh, it, it came to it came down to a, a bad die roll on my part, and she just had more available attacks. Mm-hmm. Well, sounds like fun. And what's your what's the glowing point of your week, Jonathan? Oof, I should have thought about that while you were talking. Um, <laughs> I did some painting. Uh, I got to see family at uh, at Easter. Oh, um, that must be nice. Pretty much, yeah. Well, one side of my family is entirely vaccinated. Like they've they've all gotten both shots, so you know we could actually just go in and and be with them the I'm other so one the, yeah the other side of the family has well i mean that side uh is all um uh, don't hate me for this family if you watch this uh either old people so they get to get the shot early or medical professionals so they had to get the shot so uh, and then the other side of the family, everyone had at least one shot. So we were pretty comfortable being together, but we still, like, ate outside and stuff. Right. Um, tried not to spit in each other's faces. Um, but yeah, that was, that was nice. Um, yeah, painting has been fun. Um, yeah, I, no, I guess, I guess Easter, that's kind of weird. That's non-traditional for me, but, ah, <laughs> uh, so you played Gatefall. What else did you play this week? Uh, video game wise? Eh, just game-wise. I mean, we don't have to just talk about video games. Games are games. Um, <clears throat> no, I mean, I pretty much only played video games. Okay. Other than that. Uh, <clears throat> most of my... Okay, um, games that I played this week, um, most of my weekend was dedicated to Persona 5. That oh. is, yeah... I am 34 hours into Persona 5. Oh boy. And I have I have beaten the third dungeon. And it's boss. I don't know how many dungeons there are. Uh in the base game there are let's see there's Kamoshida, there's Madarame, there's Kanashiro. There's Futaba, there's Okamura. And there's Masi, Masayoshi. So, six? Six? Uh, and I'm playing Royal, so I think there's at least one more, maybe two. Okay. So, in the base game, I would be about halfway through the dungeons. No. 
No, because there's a there's another one after that. I'm a little less okay. than halfway through the base game. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Interesting. And how do you like it so far? Good, bad? Um, I mean, you hadn't started it. No, I mean, it's pretty much as good as the base game was, which I loved, but it's also got some added elements to it. Um, there's a couple of new support characters, um, one of whom increases your max SP by five every time you talk, you hang out with him, which is nice. I mean, it's a... In the early game, it's a lot. In the mid game, it's an amount. By the late game, I'll have enough like SP recovery items where it won't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another new support character who increases your max HP every time you talk, you hang out with her, which is not incredibly useful. But um, she gives good abilities. Like, um, if you hang out with her just twice, I think you get, yeah, you get the ability to not be surrounded by enemies. Like, enemies just can't ambush you anymore, as far as I can tell. Okay. Um, and then there's a, there's a few gameplay change-ups, too. Like, Personas now have special abilities that can be, like... Um, if you're dealing technical damage, which is like you put something to sleep and then you use a skill that's more effective when an enemy's asleep, then you'll do, you'll deal like 25% more damage or there's skills that like, if you use this specific kind of magic, you'll use less SP when you're using that magic. Okay. Um, and very recently, they introduced the idea of, like, combo attacks between characters. Um, it, it's called Showtimes, and it, it picks, like, two specific characters and says, these two characters have an attack together. And it triggers kind of randomly. It's more likely to happen when an enemy is at lower health. Okay. But it, it it generally works as a finisher for one enemy. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Get them out of the way. Yeah. It, it's it's pretty fun. And they have, like, unique animations and stuff, too. So. It's fun. I'm having okay. fun. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> oh, what what are you not having fun with? Alright, so we're bringing Destiny back up. Um, oh, we're back on the Destiny train. We're back on the Destiny train. We're talking about the the working towards Conquer, doing the Grandmaster. I've been talking about this for four weeks now. Um, oh, shit. But this is... Have you? What? Yeah. Of these four weeks, I have been ready to do Grandmaster the entire time. I've I've been there. In fact, I've been ready for like two or three weeks before we started the podcast. Wow. Um, as of two days ago, we were finally had everyone at the right light level so we could play. And we played. It, uh, it was it was bad timing because like one of the pe- 
one of my crew had just gotten off of work after a very early shift. Um, and, uh, and was going to have to work really early again the next day. And so we had like maybe six hours to do it before, like we would just have to break because he would have to go. And we spent three or four hours working on it. And we, it took us a bit. We were able to get the through the first part real easy because we can, like, one-man that. <laughs> the first part, not so hard. It's the second part where it drops you into a room where there is no cover. Oh. And there's, like, there's, like, two snipers that can insta-kill you. There's two, three vehicles that can insta-kill you. And there's two champions that just have freaking laser weapons that insta kill you and another like big guy big like mini boss guy that can also just practically one shot you and it took us a couple tries but we were able to get past that to the second phase of the same room where they dropped two just tanks into the room what that also can one shot you and two more of the champions that have the laser weapons that uh, have different AI from the last one. Because the, the other two, like, stay sort of in the middle of the room and, and they they just kind of walk back and forth. Uh, these ones can run up to the beginning for what, like, minimal um, cover you have. And they can just run up behind it and, and just destroy you. What the fuck? Yeah, but eventually, on our last run that we did, we got past that, and then we quickly got past the next room, too. We got all the way to the boss. We started the boss, and we got almost a third of the way through the boss fight when it's just we got overrun by more champions and other stuff because, hey, that stuff doesn't stop spawning just because it's the boss. So you were, like, right there. Yeah, we were we were at the boss. I mean, we had maybe another ten minutes of of play left, um, just because you have to take it slow, right? You, there's just you you have to, um, but yeah, we we got there, but we like we had done like twelve or thirteen runs of it at this point. We're getting a little tired of it, so. We needed to take a break, but by the time, like, we would have come back from the break, our third person would have had to, you know, would have needed to have hit the sack. Right. So we we went ahead and called it for the day. Damn. Which is unfortunate because uh, the, the nightfall that is that week's option changes each week on Tuesday. And this was Monday that we were playing it. So oh. now it's a different one. <laughs> so now you're going to have to learn something new. Yes, and actually this one is a, a completely new one that hasn't been in the, the game before. So got to got to deal with it. Now, this this next, next one, 
we're we're pretty sure is just going to be ridiculously hard and we're not going to have fun doing it. So we might just skip it because we don't have to do this one. Uh, the requirements we have to do is just to beat four grandmasters or beat the grandmaster four different times with different subclasses. So if we get one done, we could just do that one again three more times and have it. It doesn't have to be four different ones. So we're not particularly um, trying to get it this next time, but we will give it a go just to, you know, see what it's like. Yeah. Well, yeah, good luck um, with that. It seems like <laughs> it's a lot of work. It is. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of my games being work for me. Even even during the time when I played like Final Fantasy fourteen, it wasn't really like a job. It was just like like I know I need to do I need to get some better equipment so I can do this thing. But yeah, yo, anybody want to do this with me? No, then I won't do it right now. <laughs> yeah, I miss playing Final Fantasy fourteen. Sounds but like it. I also know that if I picked it up again, it would consume my life. So, I probably yeah. won't ever pick it up again. Probably wise. Um, so, another game I played this week um, was the only other game I played yesterday besides Gatefall. Uh, a game okay. called Spiritfarer. And you've actually seen me play a little bit of this game before. Yeah, this is the one where you're basically the, uh, what's his name on the river, sticks guiding souls Charon. to the afterlife. Yeah, yeah, you you actually literally take over the job from Charon in the game. Um, yeah, it looked fun. It's a pretty game. It definitely falls under that... Um, this is an indie game, and we, we have that indie game aesthetic. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and it's not a game for everybody. Um, basically, you're, you're exploring the world, and you're finding souls in order to carry them over to what, what's called the Everdoor, which is the pathway to the next, like, afterlife, like, whatever lies beyond. Which, yeah. who knows? Who knows what it is? Nobody knows. Um, I like that. Yeah, and and once you get them on the on the ship, like after the initial three characters, you kind of have to do like a little quest to get people onto your ship. Um, and once you get them on the ship, then most of your time is spent like keeping them fed, keeping them happy, and doing their personal quests. And once their personal quest is done, they'll approach you and say, "Hey, I think I'm ready to to move on now." And so, so you're you're getting them closure. Yeah. So yesterday okay. I played through from the beginning of the game to when the first um, spirit says she's ready to move on. And that was the first time I'd seen that, because the last time I played, I only played for like a couple of hours. 
And it was, it was kind of sad. Um, hmm. but also like, kind of like you get it. Like there was, hmm. a, there was a sense of closure for that character. Like they were, they were satisfied at that point. Um, that's her. Good. Yeah. Her whole story had been that she had like a falling out with her dad when she was a kid and she ended up running away from home and like taking a job in a city far away and I, I think like the last time she had any contact with her family was like when her brother called her on the night her dad died and like that was it and wow and her her thing was like trying to find a sense of closure about her family and at the end like she's still not sure whether she can forgive her dad for whatever it was that he did I get that that's but but she tries real. to yeah she tries to yeah. forgive him this this game is very real it sounds yeah and like while they're on the while they're on the ship they'll also just give you like pieces of their backstory just from little things you do with them like i gave a frog character a bag of popcorn and he went on this little like talk about how he used to, like, watch TV with his kids, and you couldn't hear the actors speaking because of all the munching of the popcorn they were doing. <laughs> and he seemed really sad and missed it. Uh. So. It's but a game that makes game, you think a little bit. Yeah. My game uh, also evokes emotion. And that emotion is annoyance because somehow after this many years, Minecraft does not make playing in LAN easy at all. <laughs> I, it's, it's supposed to just be like you start a world, you press the button to open to LAN, and then y the other person just joins you. Right. But unless you... you jump through like 30 hoops in the back end of your computer and network settings what um like like there's there's no way that kids like can do this because they won't have access to the things <coughs> like i can do it because i have my router password and i can go in there and do all those things but like how do you expect you know, a, a, a ten-year-old normal player, a ten-year-old to be able to do this. Yeah, <laughs> I guess they uh, assume yeah, that me, a ten-year-old isn't going to do it. Yeah, which means that I guess the only option for a ten-year-old to play with other people is to play on a server online. Which that's uh, oof. a lot of servers are bad, right? I don't trust so, yeah. any online server on any game. To be able to for, play it for with, a child with to Krista. be on. Oh yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, to be able to play with Kristen and my my wife in my own house. My wife. 
on the same network that we are hardwired into, I have to look up my uh, IP address for my computer so that she can type that in and directly connect. Wow. And it's very frustrating. However, Minecraft is fun. It's chill. So you say. What's fun about it? point? Uh, it's just peaceful. It's peaceful and it's... You can do whatever. Okay. Anything? What yeah. have you been doing in it? Uh, well, we just started the world, so right now I'm mining to get uh, armor and tools and stuff. They added the most recent update, because I'm, I'm playing... I'm not playing on the stable update. I'm playing on the um, snapshot and the the work in progress update that they've got going added copper. What's a snapshot? So a snapshot is like a sneak peek at the release. So they've got stable releases where, you know, hey, we're releasing... 1.15 this is the nether update or whatever and all the nether completely changes and it's it's the game like that's minecraft um then if you want to you can go with the experimental snapshots which are weekly or bi-weekly uh mini updates to the game where they're they're testing things so they'll they'll put out like hey uh we're gonna add copper to this one so now there's copper ore in the ground and you can make smelt it and you can make blocks out of it and then like the next update they change it so that hey when you build something out of copper blocks over time the copper turns green just you know like normal copper so you can make statues you can make the statue of liberty and it can you know turn green like the actual statue of liberty oh okay um and then uh, one of the most recent snapshots changed it so that if lightning strikes, uh, cop greened copper, it can actually like take off some of the green because hey, that's a thing that happens. You can buff off the green and make it shiny again. Yeah, <laughs> and lightning has enough energy to do that. We choose to keep the Statue of Liberty green. Oh yeah, we do. Is what you're saying. Yeah, no, we we absolutely could change it, but I mean, why would you? It doesn't really matter, right? I mean, the Statue of Liberty doesn't seem to matter much to people anymore, anyway. No, Liberty doesn't seem to matter. Um, but yeah, we're we're playing on the snapshot because it's it's fun. We get new things. There's uh, new plants in the game, new caves in the game. This is supposedly the the cave update. So they're making caves more interesting. And so far, caving has been fun. Uh, it's not done yet, and there's some things I still have to find, like, um, oh, there are living caves that, that spawn underneath certain trees, azalea what? trees. And and so there's there's like the roots extend down into the cave, and there's water there, and there's like mosses and things. Uh, huh. So, yeah, I want to see that because it, it sounds pretty. Um, but yeah, 
Okay. Minecraft's fun. Minecraft sounds fun. I'm glad you have fun. <laughs>
Pong was so successful, its prototype broke after a couple of days from too many quarters being put in it. And that's with it being an extremely expensive game to play at three times the cost of games at the time. How how much yeah. did it cost to play it? One quarter. So the standard game at the time, the industry standard, was pinball. And uh-huh. you get three balls per quarter, which is Oh, I see. Three games per quarter. Whereas Pong was one, one game, game per, per quarter. quarter. I mean, I guess. I mean, but pinball's designed around having the three games. Like, those three games are your one game. Yeah, but, like, the points don't carry over, so it, it really is three different games. You're trying to get the best score across those three games, but... I thought the points I carried mean, over between them. I mean, it depends on the pinball table. Oh, Okay. Maybe I'm just used to newer ones, and I've never yeah. played an older one. Um, as a multiplayer-only arcade game, it acted as a social lubricant, and many people made new friends and even their future spouses playing Pong together. Yeah, Did- apparently Nolan Bushnell still has people come up to him, and he's like, Hey, I'd like you to meet my wife. Uh, we met playing Pong. Wow. Uh, but it was actually, like, so I hated uh, the, sorry, the producer hated writing this because um, when they were looking up uh, facts to put in here, on a lot of the sites, they said this, like, same social lubricant thing. And it's really the best term for it, but they didn't want to just directly copy it. Until they got to Wikipedia and found that literally everywhere uses the same terminology. So <laughs> it's okay lubricant. to just steal it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, it, it really was like um, it allowed girls to just walk up to a guy and be like, hey, you know, I, I need someone to play Pong with. I'll, I'll hit the quarter. You Can you come play with me? And it allowed for people who wouldn't normally interact with others to be able to interact, which is cool. Because you can't play Pong by yourself. Yeah. Okay. That's fun. Social lubricant. (laughs) Pong for the 2600 Video Olympics can be glitched so you always win. And not necessarily just against the computer. You can you can break it to win against people opponents too. Yeah, so it's there's and and it's hard. I I actually don't remember exactly what it is, and I couldn't find a um, an example of it. But it was one of the things we were told in um, game design. Um, classes was that I think it's if you if you are the right side you can always win because um, whoever gets the first um, whoever gets the point um, gets uh, the, the other person gets to serve 
So if you 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 serve from the left as the beginning of the game, so the right person gets the first real hit, and um, if you're good, you can always hit it into one of the corners, and there's no way to stop that. Like, if you hit the exact corner, you just win. Wow. Um, and so if you get that, then the left side gets to ball again, and you could just do that until you, you're done. Uh, for against the computer, you could just, there's a place where you can just put your paddle and then you'll, you don't have to play because the other, the, the computer will keep bouncing it off of your paddle until eventually it misses and it goes in and that you don't even have to reset. You can just leave your paddle there and you will just get points. Wow. They broke that game bad. Okay. Yeah. Pong was successful enough that bigger companies flooded the market with clones in an attempt to cash in on Atari's success. To combat this, instead of suing them all, which Magnavox actually did since they were technically the first, we talked about that already, they pivoted and started work on more innovative concepts. Yeah, imagine that. (laughs) I feel like that happens a lot to this day, as people will release an idea and then they'll just fold because... Uh, the Tonight Show or whatever will pick it up and, and do it instead. Right. Like, I, I know they haven't folded, which I'm happy for, but the... What's the... Uh, hot Ones? The YouTube channel that does the... The um, Hot Wings? The Hot Wing Challenge. Yeah, with celebrities wings, and stuff. Hot, yeah. Really, really good concept. Uh, but I'm I think, sure it's been stolen um, by other places at this point. Yeah, a couple Tonight Shows have, have done it. Some of them have been good enough to get the guy from Hot Ones to come and do it, which is good for the Hot Ones people because that builds, you know, exposure. Ugh. I, I'm pretty sure they're also paid, but... They better be. Um, and then, oh, who's the the witch? Um, The witch? Yeah, the she's terrible, and her show is terrible, and apparently she's like one of the worst human beings. Um, Ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres, thank you. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, she. I think I think I remember she just stole the concept, um, which she's done for many things, and yeah, a lot of those, a lot of those things didn't survive. Um, you know, I liked her as Dory, but, uh, real upsetting the way things turned out with her. Yeah. I, I do think that it's also just like the way you have to do things from, from that point onward, because like, you can't just claim broad ideas anymore. Although people try. Yeah. But, like, like the react, the Fine Brothers tried to tr- trademark the word react. And, and yeah, that didn't work. So they would be the only ones to be able to do react videos. Which was embarrassing. Yeah. Like, it, you can't just say, like, oh, I had this idea of this very, like, broad 
thing, and now I'm the only one who can do it. I think I remember PlayStation was trying to copyright or patent. I don't remember which one. Uh, or maybe it was trademark. I don't know. One of the three. Uh, the term Let's Play. Oof. Which, first of all, like, Rooster Teeth, if anyone should own that, considering they actually own the Let's Play channel, but even they think they shouldn't own it because, like, Let's Plays existed before them. They just coined the term. Yeah, I mean, wasn't one of the first ones to do a Let's Play, uh, Slow Beef? I don't know. So wouldn't uh, he he be able to claim the term Let's Play? But he can't because it's a cultural term. Right. Like, <laughs> But I'm saying if anybody, it's not them either. It would be that. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Um, although recently, uh, who is it? Warner Brothers, I think, did actually get the copyright on the Nemesis system. Which is, uh, fucked. That's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, people can't have a nemesis system in their games anymore unless they pay Warner Brothers. Which, do you want to give Warner Brothers money? Does, how does Warner Brothers own the rights to that, though? Is it through, does Warner Brothers own Lord of the Rings? Um, I think so. I mean, I mean, no, because the Tolkien Society owns it, but I guess, are the but, movies... Yeah, the, like, they own the movies and and the games, like Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War. I thought Shadow of Mordor and, and War were Ubisoft games. Uh, I don't think so. I can do a quick search. Yeah, do that. Because I was pretty sure those were Ubisoft games, because they're just... Assassin's Creed, but different. No. Um, like, that's, that's one of the things, is, like, they've clearly taken so much from other games, but then they're laying claim to this one aspect of their thing. Yeah. Middle-Earth right, Shadow Monolith of Mordor is developed yeah. by Monolith Productions and published by Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. Okay. Interesting, yeah. To be fair, I haven't heard of another company doing a Nemesis system. Um, well, actually, a variant on that is in a game that I've been streaming with you, Star Renegades. Where Oh Yeah, yeah. where when an enemy kills you, they get to they get promoted and then they're stronger the next time you fight them. So yeah. did they copyright it or trademark it or patent it uh you know i don't remember exactly which one i remember that it does not allow people to use it unless they pay warner brothers which i think would have to at least be a trademark <sighs> it is a patent oof um yeah And it's like, you could just not do that. You could just have new ideas, Warner Brothers. <laughs> you could just do your job. Yeah. Okay. Steve Jobs and Wozniak worked to make the next level of Pong, Breakout, and then used borrowed Atari parts to make the Apple One. 
They then asked for funding in exchange for a minor equity stake in Apple, and Atari said no. And the founder still cries about that today. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, Atari went under. Apple didn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Apple's on top of the world right now. Yeah. Unfortunately. And, and Atari is, uh... If you're watching or listening to this on iTunes, uh, good for you. <laughs> yeah, have fun. With your stolen Atari parts. <laughs> or borrowed. Quote, heavy quotation marks around that. They were, they were old Atari parts. Atari didn't want them anymore. <sighs> like... Um. Ah, uh, poor Atari. But also, like, <laughs> I've seen Alone in the Dark 2006. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. It's not good. <laughs> it's bad. Like, Atari also just started making bad games. That's why they went under. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is why. Oh, also, there was just not a lot of um they stopped working on innovative concepts <laughs> they started doing the same things over and over yeah pong 2000 was in development for the jaguar oof and would have been a 3d platform game featuring puzzle and shooter elements and would include an original storyline featuring the supposed new mascot for the jaguar pong boy this is an awful idea from start to finish. <laughs> it sounds fake. It does. Like it, it, sound, it sounds it like one of those memes. Fake. It sounds like one of those memes. Like I fed I fed a, an algorithm a thousand hours of, of video game knowledge <laughs> and this is what it came out with. <laughs> uh it it was announced in multiple magazines. So, it seems to likely that it's true, but there's How? still a chance that it's, like, just a a mass uh, April Fool's. An elaborate prank? Yeah. But, there's enough truth in it, I'm inclined to believe that it's an idiotic idea, which should have happened so that we could laugh at it. Like, the the start of this, the, the start of the problem is developing it for the Jaguar. <laughs> Don't develop anything for the Jaguar. That's just a bad idea. Um, a 3D platform game? You're table tennis. What are you doing? <laughs> With puzzle and shooter elements? What are, are you shooting ping pong balls? What are you shooting? Yeah, what are you shooting with your ping balls? At the uh, there were paddle soldiers. Oh I believe God. is what it was. I I'm not joking. That's that's what it said. And then an original storyline for table tennis. You have a storyline yeah. for table. Are you a sports anime? What are you gonna do? <laughs> and and then the 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 cream here. The real the. Like the meringue, as one might say, is the the pong boy. Pong boy. 
I love it. That's that's like who's that that cat that bobcat the bobcat mascot platform game bubsy bubsy yeah that's a bubsy levels of bad idea yeah or awesome possum oof Palm was Atari's first major success, which allowed Nolan Bushnell, founder of Atari, to accomplish his lifelong dream, founding Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza Time Theater. Thus, Pong is clearly a part of the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise. Think about it. I've thought about it, and I think it's stupid. (laughs) Alright, first question. Do you know what the E in Chuck E. Cheese's stands for? Entertainment. Yeah, Charles Entertainment Cheese. Yeah, it, it's bad. I I really hate this this fact. <laughs> I, I I really genuinely hate this fact because Nolan Bushnell only founded Atari so that he could make Chuck E. Cheeses. How does that like, even track? His his he, I he founded started out. He, I founded a video game company so that I could make a pizza and play ball store. He he wanted to be an Imagineer. He wanted to work for for Disney. Disney wouldn't hire people that were fresh out of college. Ah, um, uh. and so he went to work for a uh, a small computer firm, and uh, met the other founder of Atari and. Uh, told him his his dream, which was to create a pizza parlor with electronic gaming systems. Oh, so he wanted to found Atari so that there would be arcade machines in his Chuck E. Cheese. Yes, so he created Atari as a a stepping stone to creating Chuck E. Cheese. And then he eventually made Chuck E. Cheese's, and then they did poorly, and he lost the rights of it to, I think, Warner Brothers. Oof. And and eventually he bought Chuck E. Cheese's back from Warner Brothers because he really wanted to own Chuck E. Cheese's. Why? I Chuck E. Cheese isn't good. Why do you want to make... Why do you want to own Chuck E. Cheese? I mean, because it's his baby. You're... It's a bad idea. It's I mean, all ob- a bad idea. It's obviously not because it's there's still one in the city where I live. Yeah. I think they haven't even closed because of the pandemic. Like they they they've managed to keep funds going to stay operational. Yeah. They do carry out. There's also what's the is it Fazoli's? Um, I've never heard of them. There's so Chuck E. Cheese has a separate um, company that they that they run. Uh, Pasquale's. Never heard of them either. So Pasquale's is P- Pasquale's Pizza and Wings is a secondary company owned by Chuck E. Cheese. They're producing the pizzas in Chuck E. Cheese. They're the same pizzas with the same ingredients, but they go under a different name under Grubhub. What? Um, 
uh, on like delivery services. So, so you're just buying because, a Chuck okay. E. Cheese pizza to eat at home? Yes. Are you? Let's let's suck. You want some pizza? You're not gonna make it yourself. So you go like, hey, I'll I'll order some pizza. I could go Papa John's. I could go. Um, well, I never uh, go Papa Little John's. Caesars. I could go Pizza Hut. Oh, there's this new one, Pasquale's. Well, I'll, you know, maybe I'll try it. And oh, oh, there's Chuck E. Cheese. I'm not gonna get Chuck E. Cheese's pizza. No, not when like I'll I'll never get Chuck E. Cheese's if Little Caesars exists because <laughs> I'm sure they're about the same price. But at least Little Caesars, uh, like is Little Caesars has the competent. crazy bread. Yeah, they have the crazy they're, they're bread. They're halfway competent compared to Chuck E. Cheese. No, I'm not gonna order Chuck E. Cheese, but like Pasquale's Pizza and Wings, maybe that sounds like a local pizza place. I'll get some there. And then it's just Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, that's that's shady. Ooh, that's oh, shady. Yeah. yeah, they got away with it for a bit too. Wow. Oh, has that been put a stop to? Uh. No, I don't think so. I think Pasquale's is still around, but people more people are aware it of it now. now. Yeah, I see. I thought maybe they got litigated. <laughs> Did he ever become a Disney Imagineer? Oh no, absolutely <laughs> not. Wow, poor guy. I mean, not poor yeah. guy. He's obviously no. doing fine. Yeah, he's doing all right. He joined a um, a committee on uh, computer security that was going to be chaired by John McAfee, and then John McAfee was not chosen for uh, definitely unknown reasons. Um, the murders and the rapes and the the cocaine and the other mysterious drug that he does. Yeah, I don't know what happened. They're just he, they decided not to go with him as chair. I, I've actually heard the name of the other drug that he does, but I've forgotten what it's called. It's it's this obscure thing that's like not really like it's not illegal to do. Like you can't be arrested for having it because nobody does this thing. But yeah. It's it, he does insane amounts of it alongside cocaine. Um, looking it up right now. And also, um, he 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 committed so many crimes in Belize, so many. Yeah. He he almost. I I I have to put allegedly here, but he allegedly had a hitman murder his neighbor in Belize, and then he went on the run. For like three weeks from Belizean police. <laughs> and he live streamed uh, it. He live streamed his his running. Yeah. Remember when he was running for president? Uh that was the same election as Donald Trump. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm honestly not sure who would have been worse. Would John McAfee have been worse than Trump? I'm not sure. He might have committed less crimes than Trump. Maybe. Uh, it's Alpha PHP? Yes. 
Yeah. Or Flacca. I've never heard that name for it, but Alpha PHP. Oh, no, no. Flacca's different. So Alpha PHP provides the same high as Flacca, but Flacca's Schedule 1 controlled and Alpha PHP isn't. Right. Like, you can't be arrested for having massive quantities of this drug. As of uh, 2016. Yeah, and that's like that's I, like I all he did. I don't know if did. that's changed. It might have because of John McAfee. Oh, man. Hmm. Learning about John McAfee is just a trip. Yeah. It's weird. He's weird. He is weird. Let's move on. Um, what are we talking about this week, John? All right. So, you know, we always talk talk about a narrative trope or a game mechanic. We're taking a little break from that for the month of April. And we're going to instead take the month to talk about games as art. You might call it Games as Art April. Yeah. Um, so... Games as art is a incredibly complex topic that we are going to try and do as good justice as we can with the, like, 30 minutes a week that we have to talk about it. And our amateurish <laughs> level of knowledge at best. I have done a lot of looking into games as art through my uh, non-illustrious career as a game developer. It was one of the things I had to study in school and it's one of the things that has always uh enticed me drawn me to it um because it's it's an interesting um the games are interesting conceptually and the argument is an interesting argument to make so uh over the course of of the month we'll talk about um particular games like um some games are just artistically beautiful some games are um emotionally beautiful and some games we'll get to are very uncomfortable and controversial (laughs) and uh we will do our best to cover those in a safe but um Basically, when it comes time for John to want to bring that one up, we'll just put a, a warning at the the start of the section. Yeah, we will. We we absolutely will, and it will need it, um, because while I think that all the games that I will talk about are important and are are necessary for what they do, I I don't like the fact that they have to exist, and I don't like them like i i genuinely like i've i've played them and at least one of them i hate that i've played it uh i hate that it exists and i i i hate everything about it but i think it's important um but we'll get to that later um so the the first question no, the this this first week's question is what is 
an art game? Like, what is what is video games as art? And uh, I'm just out of curiosity, what would you say? What would be your answer to that? Uh huh. So a lot of like I do think that there is a specific kind of like genre of games as art. Yeah. But that it always tends to be the kind of game that I don't want to play. <laughs> um so a, a lot of them are what are derisively called walking simulators. Yeah. Stuff like um the vanishing of Ethan Carter or Don't Journey. Know that one. Um, yeah. Like it, it's games where you walk around and you uncover the story, but you don't really play the story. You're you're told it through an like barely even interactive way. Okay. Well, we'll get to that, but what would you like is that your definition of an art game is that I mean, it's one definition. But uh other other games would be like um um one we've already mentioned on this this episode today, Spiritfarer. I would consider yeah. that like a game as art. And it's definitely more interactive. Like, there are things to do. There are game mechanics. There are, like, uh, little things take mini games to accomplish and stuff. Like, it's pretty simple, but it's interactive in a way. Like, yeah. things don't just happen to you. Um, I an- Another one that comes up whenever this discussion is had is <laughs> Shadow Shadow of the Colossus. Yes. Which is a beautiful game, and it's largely just 16 boss fights right in a row. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some minor puzzle elements to it, but most of the time it's just walk to where you need to be, fight the thing you need to fight, and do it rinse repeat. But But the story behind all of that happening is what makes it artistic. And also the fact that it's it's just visually a masterpiece. Oh yeah, it's it's and, so gorgeous uh, musically, if I remember correctly. So this this gets into a a, a question um, pretty early on because I I agree there there is a genre of games that is is what we're going to be talking about, which is the the art game uh, that you you mentioned several options as um you know journey flow um what are some other ones oh rapture uh, devil's devil's tuning fork um uh passage okami oh um, okami's a good one so there there's and and some of some games are like close like braid and undertale have a lot of emotion that they'll 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 bring to the game um that that is more a characteristic of art games um i would i would say that spirit fair is is on that tangent like braid um so your argument here is that undertale is not an art game a game as art now 
I would say that it is not of the genre art game. I see. I would say it's a game with art game characteristics, but it is not an art game. However, this is incredibly subjective. Um, the, the, the difficulty comes here when you're talking about games is that games are a creative medium. Right. They are a creative medium, same as music, cinema, writing, <laughs> painting, and storytelling in general. Just, it is a, a creative medium. We have another term for creative me- mediums. It's called art. Right. All of the things I mentioned are art. Now, they might not be high art, and, like, I wouldn't say Sonic the Hedgehog the movie is high art. Nor would I say Sonic the Hedgehog the video game is high art. <laughs> I would also. Uh, but there there are movies that are art. That are just masterfully made, and uh, in doing so, have become fine art uh i think the same is true of of books there are just cheap flicks that are fun to read and then there's tolkien which is art you know there's there's the masters uh like tolstoy and dostoyevsky that's art uh it's it's very high art i don't like it but (laughs) i don't have to Likewise, um, you know, with with visual mediums, you've got uh, Picasso, high art. You've got uh, Rembrandt, Van Gogh, all high art. And you have DeviantArt. (laughs) And there's high art on DeviantArt. And there's also a lot of furry porn. And one of these is high art, and the other is furry porn. (laughs) Ugh. So with with all mediums there there is high art and the the lower masses but it's all art. Um a, a there Wikipedia has a list of video games considered artistic and like one of the first ones on there is Super Mario Brothers because I mean it checks all the boxes. I mean that's I mean, one of the most influential games of all time. It's one of the most influential games of all time. It is that beats Minecraft. Culturally, very, very relevant. Um, and that's that's a feature of art. Mist, Doom, Chrono Trigger, Yoshi's Island, um, Super Mario sixty four, Castlevania, Final okay. Fantasy seven. So all I want to interject here. Artistic I wanna, games. I want to interject ahead. here. Um, so they're considering Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VII as artistic, like, games as art. Yes, they're, yes, as a video game that is artistic. So, what would you say they are? I I mean, I would say that they are, um, genre-founding. And and influential for their genres, and I mean honestly, they they are art- artistic. Well, um, they're not really genre founding though. They're they're both just building on a genre that was they founded they by games like Hide Light and Dragon Quest. But 
we've we've mentioned Dragon Quest before and how it's not fun or good. Um, Chrono Trigger, on the other hand, is incredible. Oh yeah. Uh, and I mean and the Final difference Fantasy of like seven eight is years also helps. a game that is considered to be one of the best RPGs of all time. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I'm not. I'm not going to go out and play Final Fantasy VII. But the remake's better. But <laughs> <laughs> but these these are games that I would argue um, made it so that the uh, elevated the genres. Okay. The genres existed, but these elevated them to a a new level. So if something elevates a genre, then it's it's higher art. Yes, but these are also, these are not the genre art games. This no. is just games that are art, because, first of all, everything is art, but these are these are games that are, are more art than others. These are, these are games that might not be Rembrandt, but they are, you know, the, these aren't Michelangelo's The Sistine Chapel, but it is some of Michelangelo's earlier work. All right, so if we're going, we're going based on that. Would would then Assassin's Creed Two be art, like high, uh, like art on the level of Final Fantasy Seven? Well, as someone who doesn't like the Assassin's Creed games, probably. <laughs> well, well I, I went with two because it's the it's the first one where people are like, oh. Like, I get what's going on here. Like, this is a fun game to play, and it's not hampered by a bunch of, like, tedious, unnecessary bullshit like the first one was. Yeah. Um. I don't know that it would be Final Fantasy VII, but it, it would definitely be maybe a Final Fantasy Five. Hmm. See, I would actually consider five on the same level as seven. I mean, I would too, but it's not on this list. And, and so, my, uh, I mean, uh, ni- neither is Assassin's Creed two. But. Right. And my my argument there is that um, Final Fantasy five is completely different from Final Fantasy seven. Yeah. In that it builds on a different like core of the JRPG idea which is the the job class system which had been like uh, the idea of, of switching between the jobs and everything had been kind of introduced in Final Fantasy 3 but it wasn't really good until 5 yeah on the other hand it wasn't reproduced again really until like bravely default yeah i mean it kind of it was like cool this is the pinnacle but people don't necessarily want this and so they went a completely different route and that's where final fantasy 7 comes in because uh all the rest of the final fantasy games are a lot closer to 7 than they are to 5 well actually <laughs> it it was reproduced again in final fantasy tactics like it became more yes. it became more a strategy rpg mechanic than a yeah. traditional jrpg thing until Bravely Default. Yes. Um, but that that 
brings it into again the 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 problem is that there are games all games are art but we're not talking about the super mario brothers and the final fantasy 7s of the world we're we're going to be talking about the okamis and passage and flow of the world um well actually on that topic what makes okami different from final fantasy 7 and more in line with something like journey it's art style it's it it's that's that's one of the um that i was going to get into the different genres of um art games art games immediately following this but oh i see so what genre would okami fall into okami falls into the games the the art games that are art because they are a culture so um okami is basically the perfect example of this because it's based off of japanese mythology it's based off of japanese art the the sumi e or sumai e or i can't speak japanese uh japanese watercolor paintings right um art br- based brush strokes to special moves it's it's everything about it is designed to put you in that world and i all games are are like that but this one is is like hi i'm japanese mythology i'm japanese culture so everything about me is going to be based off of japanese culture um and to the point where it's it's incredibly well done versus something like um what was one of the uh journey is a very pretty game but it's not based off of anything really it's it's a wholly uh, new idea it, it's a wholly new idea and it's its own complete separate thing it's it's pretty but it also has an emotional thing it's trying to share with you that journey i would put in what we're actually going to talk about next week um games designed to evoke a particular emotion and understanding for for something you might not understand so it's it's designed to uh to deal with a particular thing whereas okami is just uh, they went out to create a work of art and then they did um So there's there's those two genres. There is like you you mentioned the walking simulator. Uh-huh. Um which gets into a question of at what point is a game a game? You can't win. Uh for example, the the one that I've played is The Beginner's Guide. And it's a powerful game. It's it's a it's about if I remember correctly cuz it's been a minute. Um <laughs> It's it's about uh, a person struggling to deal with something they do not understand, and it's taking you through their previous games that they've made, and just scraps of games that they've they've put together, 
and they've connected all of these in one chain. Um, and it's by the guy who made the Stanley parable. Um, yeah. And it really is just a, a walking simulator, but you go through and it's designed really well to, to deal with being an artist who doesn't like their art and who doesn't know what they're doing and who doesn't know what's next. And, and it's, oh boy, it's, it's masterful at that. It's a really, really good job at evoking that particular emotion, but you can't win it. There's no changes you can do. There are no choices. You, I mean, I guess you can choose to stop walking forward, but it is a linear game with no choices that you just go until you get to the end. I'm inclined to say that it is still a game because it is um, interactive. And it's like a kind of more like a visual novel in that you can um <laughs> it's got predetermined outcomes but you're just clicking through the things to get to the end uh visual novels are also often considered art games um which oof, there's a whole other discussion <laughs> yes um some visual novels can be and others are just horny simulators steins gate that's a that's an art game. Yeah. I'm going up um, entirely based off of the anime for that, but if the anime <laughs> if the game's as good as the anime, uh Steins Gate is a is an art game. Yeah. Um walking simulators, uh Journey is considered a walking simulator. Um a a lot of of walking simulators are art games and and are are very meaningful and I'd, I'd call them games but they definitely fall into their their own slot so I guess um, at that point um, do, does a game have to have a fail state in order to be a game this uh, there are many ways to define a game and this, I'm going to use the definition that it is interactive fiction. It's it's an interactive medium that you can do. Because we're not just going to talk about video games. We're also going to bring up a board game or two um, when we get to the, the controversial and uncomfortable episode. Um, I, I, I say games are interactive. And that's, I think, the one thing that's unique about games as an art medium. Okay. I mean, you, you can't interact with a movie. You can't interact with a, uh, a painting or a uh, book or... Well, I mean, there actually are movies that you can interact with now. Like um, what? Um, Black Mirror Bandersnatch or whatever. Like, they have you make choices. Like, it's a how to choose your like own adventure book. Black Mirror Bandersnatch. Something. How does that work? Like, they have you make choices in the middle of the 
the, the show. Oh, so it's it's like a TV show that you... Yeah, it's like a choose-your-own-adventure you, 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 book. Okay. Yeah. Choose-your-own-adventure game. TV show. <laughs> they did a Kimmy Schmidt episode of that, like that, too. Okay. I haven't seen any of them because they don't interest me, but... See, I would <laughs> call that a... Uh, sort of like how a visual novel is the combination of a game and a book I would say that that interactive films are the combination of a film and a game okay it's two mediums coming together yeah I would put it in the same book as a visual novel because you're making set choices that end in a particular like i mean all all video games have the same ending tech uh, except for like the few new ones that have there's four different endings in this game um <laughs> but like mario you're always going to end the game by rescuing the prin- un- i mean unless you lose um if you win the game you rescue the princess I mean, RPGs uh, very often have multiple endings, though. Nowadays, yeah. Yeah. So. Hmm. I guess uh, my next question would be, what? Uh, we talked about Okami earlier. So, what yes. would be what would be the difference between Okami and Legend of Zelda: Wind Waker? Would Wind Waker also be in a, a game as art? Because it's cell shaded and and a particular art style. Well, I mean, there's that, but also like the um, the music, like the music yeah, plays yeah. an integral part in the game, and that it, it it's what helps you move your boat around. Uh, I would disagree. You're, you are, yes, using a short clip of music to change the, the wind, but it doesn't change the music of the game. Okay. That, that would be like saying that, you know, playing the ocarina in Ocarina of Time changes the music. All right. I mean, uh, yes, it technically does, but that's a huge stretch. Better example, um, Crypt of the Necrodancer, wherein... You are playing the game a long time to the rhythm of the music. I would also say that that's not an art game. Um, I, I'd say it's it's very interesting and it's very uh, unique, but it's not artistically um concise like it's it's not like okami is part of the reason why it fits into this is because again it's a culture in a game right i don't think the same could be said of crypt of the necrodancer hmm so are there any more genres like we we've discussed like the kind of like walking simulator like 
evoking an emotion kind of game the journey falls into and yes. this like representing an entire culture that okami would fall into so what other genre would there be okay well i i also mentioned that there's the controversial and uncomfortable one right i <laughs> mean but it's we gonna get gone... its own genre yeah we haven't gone too in depth on that one yet but yeah uh that would be Games like Passage, which deals with death, and as you play through the game, you, you, you spend five minutes experiencing a character's entire lifetime, and it's a very simple game, it's kind of abstract, but it's powerful in dealing with that. Um, there's games like Train by Brenda Romero, um... And we'll talk about that as well um, later, where it it deals with uh, the Holocaust. Oh, and uh, and and if I remember correctly, she has a Jewish background. She like includes things in this game where she, you know, has parts of her family in this. Um. It's a very powerful game, and it it's designed to make you think about what you're doing and what they were doing, and give you choices. And it's it's an incredibly powerful game that sucks once you know what happened, <laughs> and yeah. once you're you're aware of what's going on. But it's it's a game that that definitely pushes the boundaries. Um, so a game yeah. that would fall into that kind of vein would be like, um, there's this game called that dragon cancer, which was made by, uh, a couple of parents whose child was diagnosed with terminal cancer at 12 months old. Yeah. And it's a point and click adventure game wherein you go through the highs and lows of like raising their child who d only lived for five years. Yeah. Um, or games like uh, Gumbeat Gold, which is, uh, <laughs> it's a fun little game. Uh, <laughs> Gumbeat Gold, uh, you, you gather followers who like blowing bubbles, and then you avoid those that don't like bubbles. Uh, except for the fact that the people who don't like them are under orders from the state to assault any breakers of what is apparently martial law, and blowing bubbles is against the law. So, it's a fun game about blowing bubbles. It's also a game about political oppression, martial law, and the fight against unfairness of those above us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um... There's games like Solace, which goes through the five stages of grief. And I guess that's more of, like, the journey ones, because it's... Uh, it evokes a particular emotion, and I don't know that grief is particularly a, uh, a controversial and uncomfortable topic. Um, but yeah, uh, Solace goes through the five stages of grief in a bullet hell. Oh, okay. um, another game that I would consider, um, 
controversial or uncomfortable is, um, which will also introduce the other type, the another genre, is one chance. And this other genre is games that are art by pushing the limit of what games can do and what the genres um, even consider as an option. And uh, one chance is a game where you're a scientist, there's a, a virus out there that is killing the earth, you have six days before everyone dies, what choices do you make? And you can choose to stay at home and, you know, rebuild a relation with your your daughter or wife. I don't remember. It's been a bit. Or you can choose to go to work as the scientist and try and save the world. And some of the endings, because it does have multiple endings, are like, yes, you saved the world, but your wife died because you weren't there to take care of her. Um, or you, you know, you cost the world everything, but you were able to, um, save your wife, or maybe you saved the world, but it cost you your life. There are a bunch of different options, and that's the uncomfortable bit of it. The part that turns this into a, hey, we can change what the genre does, the name of the game is One Chance, because you as the player, have one chance to play this game. When you have finished, uh, as you are playing it, it puts cookies into your browser that stop you from being able to play the game again. Now, yes, you can get around that by wiping cookies. That's a whole lot easier now than the, it was when the game was made. But when it was initially made, you played through the game once, and whatever ending you got... That was your ending. Oh, um, there's a game like that um, that I've heard of. It was like a couple of years ago it came out. Um, it's basically Russian Roulette. Um, you play through Russian Roulette. And if you ever like pull the trigger and die, then you can never play the game again. Yeah. Um, there's other games that explore just things that you wouldn't, um, expect, like, a second-person shooter, which is, uh, a, a game that just pushes, these are games that just push the limit of games, and, uh, second-person shooter is a game played, it's a shooter played in second-person. You play the game from the perspective of the people you are shooting. And so you have to rotate based off of their vision. And as more enemies spawn, you get more views of vision, uh, like more fields of view, and you have to turn and aim and shoot at them. And it is very confusing to think about. Oh, that sounds... That sounds nauseating, honestly. Yeah. There's games like The Snowfield, which is a game by... Uh, several of these are, are made by um, the Gambit MIT Research. Um, I think it's MIT. Um, uh, but Snowfield 
is a game that it was designed to make a simulation-based narrative game, um, except instead of you, uh, the, the developer making the game, like, they didn't come up with an idea and then do that. They instead, um, made it, they, they went to their QA team and said, hey, uh, what type of games do best? And they heard back, uh, simulation games. And so they went and they made a simulation game and they brought it back and they said, all right, uh, what do we need to do to change this? <laughs> and so it was, it was a constant back and forth where practically speaking, the audience designed the game or caused the game to eventually exist by going back and forth repeatedly, just getting buzzwords of like, oh, you like first-person shooters in a snowy landscape? All right, so we made a, a first-person shooter in a snowy landscape. Oh, you like few weapons? Cool, we made that. Oh, you like survival things? Oh, we put survival things in. Oh, you like this? We put that in. Until they got to a point where the audience was like, well, we hate this. <laughs> this is not at all what we wanted. Uh, but they kept going back and forth until they got to that point um, and, um, so that was a, a, a limit pushing of how to develop the game. Um, there's other games that just, that push the limits of like, what is a game? Uh, like you have to burn the rope, which a lot of these, a lot of art games came about it at the same time. And like, I think it was like 2012, that sounds right. That sounds like Stanley Parable time. Yeah, and they came about all around the same time, and a lot of them were Flash games. Because Flash was a perfect medium to just make a game really quick and get it out there. Yeah. Um, so You Have to Burn the Rope is another example of, of these games that push the limits of what a game is. Um, it starts out your... It's sort of like a Mario-ish game. Um, you're just walking down a hallway. There's words on the wall that say, uh, you're about to enter a boss room. You can't damage the boss. You have to burn the rope. Uh, and so you can jump around the boss room as much as you want. And then uh, eventually when you're tired of doing that, you pick up a... Um, a torch you go you light the chandelier on f the the rope holding the chandelier on fire it falls kills the boss you win okay i mean it's it's really you the the game is just you go in you burn the rope it's gone and you know that's that's it <laughs> but at the same time it is pushing the limits of what a game like would you consider that a game uh it is I mean, by the most technical of definitions. What about Super Press Space to Win? Have you ever played Super Press Space to Win? No, but I guess it's a game where you just start it up and you press space and you win. No, it's an it's a full RPG. Uh, you play through the entire game. It's a storyline. It's very in detail. Uh, you you meet like. If I remember, you, like, meet your dad or, or your twin. I don't remember. You have to defeat them, and it's very sad. Uh, but everything in the game is just you press space. It's like press space to move forwards, press space to jump over the object, press space to um, 
you know, buy the potion, press base to upgrade strength. So there's um, only one option. Yes. Um, and yeah, you play through the game like that, and then you win. Uh, you limit break at the end and get to win. <laughs> huh. But, you know, is it a game? Isn't it I a don't... game? It's interactive. There's only one interaction you can do. And it's it's kind of like a walking simulator. Yeah, but again, by the most technical of definitions, it is a game. By the but... most technical of difficulty. Uh, of, yeah, of definitions. So, yeah, it is a game. Um, and that's that's what art likes to do, is it likes to push the limits of what is art. Like, <laughs> art for a long time was just, hey, this is a beautiful landscape, let's paint the beautiful landscape. Or here are some, some fruit, let's paint a beautiful you know bowl of fruit. And then they came along and were like, hey, what if I just put your nose on your forehead? And your eyes down by your chin. Is that art? And the answer is yes. It just changes the definition a little and makes things not as simple as they were beforehand. So I do have two more games that I want to talk about. Okay. That I absolutely think are art. Like, I'm not even asking you if these are games as art because I think they are. Um, Okay. The first one is Nier Automata. Um. And what Nier Automata does is it's an RPG, um, but it kind of stretches the idea of what an RPG can have in it. So there are segments of it that are a bullet hell game, and then you'll tra- transfer into like the like action RPG stuff, um, and then. You'll, uh, as you go through the game, you'll also have sections of the game where you'll go straight from action RPG stuff to like a hacking mini game back to action RPG stuff. Um, okay, so I I understand what you're saying. You're saying it's it's kind of all encompassing and it has a lot of different things in there that um you think. Well, combine all together to make it art that and also the story itself is like based on very well researched philosophy um and and the game itself is like questioning what even is humanity like are can you be a human without being biologically a human what makes a human is it the fact that we were born a human or is it our emotions is it, is it the way we feel things? Is it the way we interact with the world? Is that what makes us human? Because then something else that isn't technically human could be human. Okay. So I have two questions. You're not going to like the second one. Uh, the first one is, uh, is the question of whether or not, or of what humanity is, relevant in all levels of the game. Yes. Is it is it a part of combat? Is it a part of traversal? Because with art games, the the question of what, you know, like with Solace, where it's a game about the five stages of grief, at every point in the game, you are dealing with the five stages of grief. Movement, 
combat, the enemies that show up, the music, the art. Every single part of the game is dealing with that. Same with Journey. Journey is the one emotion. Like, that's... the, the that's <laughs> from, from every level of the game, it is that. Is that true for Nier Automata? Um... Because if not, I, I'd just say that it is a very artistic game. It's definitely on the list of games that are art. I wouldn't I would say necessarily that, say it's an art game. I would say that on every level of combat, at least, it is there. Because the enemies you're fighting are robots who are mimicking what they believe humanity to be. And okay. at, a cer- at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, like... Like, you run into a village of these robots living together peacefully that don't attack you. And so you have to ask yourself, like, are the robots you're fighting out there just a step away from being these robots, like, in the village? Are they human? Okay. Are the robots in the village human? Like, they're not biologically human. They don't look like humans, but they talk and feel like humans. And so, could the robots you're fighting at every stage of the game be human? That's fair. I'd, I'd at the very least say that it's it's like a half step away. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the, the second question that I know you're going to hate, it having every form of game in it is not necessarily make it an art game. Oh, no. it does, then Evo Land 2 is the most art game of all time. That's not what I was trying to say with that. <laughs> What, what I was trying to say is, it, like, the guy who made it, um, Yoko Taro, clearly had, like, a vision for what he wanted it to be. And not only does it have, like, all of these kind of, like, genres mixed into it, but they all flow together in a seamless kind of way where you don't really feel weird hopping from one to the other. Even though they're, like, okay. entirely different kinds of games. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to accept it. As um, long as we also accept Evo Land 2. No, I'm <laughs> The other one is Papers, Please. Okay, no, Papers, Please is absolutely an art game. Right, and, yeah, and my question... Not. You don't even have to. <laughs> my question here is what genre does it fall into? Um, probably... Well, I've, I've actually never played... Um, papers, please. I've seen a little bit of it, enough okay. to know like the concept of it. Can you change? Uh, are you allowed to let people through that shouldn't be let through? So this is a really hard game for me to play, in because it makes me very uncomfortable. So I've only ever yeah. played like a couple of hours of it. So I'm not sure if that becomes an option later in the game, but. In the portion that I played, you are strictly looking for um, inconsistencies in people's passports and letting them through based on whether or not they they match up with what passports are supposed to look like. Yeah. I, I would probably put this under the controversial and uncomfortable um, ones because border control especially with regards to what is allegedly or you know presumably a um 
dictator of some sort. Oh, it's I mean, definitely it's, it's, it's an authoritarian it's, it's, regime of some kind. Yeah, it's it's designed to be Russia or you know China or well specifically you know, like Soviet sorry the Union. USSR. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would I would put it under controversial and uncomfortable, especially if later on you have the option to turn against it and, you know, let people through. Um, okay. Now, uh, you know, we could talk about this all day. <laughs> but and, we can't. But we, we can't. We don't we don't have that sort of time. Um, and, and I really want to to put a bunch of notes on this that like one this is all very subjective, as all art is, because I'm not a fan of Picasso. I think his his works are pretty, but I don't like them. Uh, I would never um, really put a Picasso on my wall. Yeah, same. Now, Van Gogh, I, I think is is. I hate great, the way you're saying would... his name. I didn't mention it earlier, <laughs> but fuck off with your Van Gogh. <laughs> We're in America. It is Van Gogh. Um, I would love to have him on my wall. I mean, I wouldn't, again, because that would be taking it away from the public, and I think that certain art belongs in the public. Well, I'd still Um, have a reproduction of Starry Night on my wall if I could. Yeah, no, same. Like, a reproduction, or, or I, I mean, even if I could somehow do it, if I could make a reproduction, I would love to have that on my wall. But, um, I, I... There, there are arts that are what you would consider art and what I would consider art don't necessarily have to be the same. Yeah. And art and is, we don't at have the end of like the day, the subjective. It's very subjective. And also what we, like, consider, because, like, obviously, you know, we, we've mentioned that all video games are art. And that's not what we're talking about. Um, there are... Uh, certain things whether that you know like we aren't necessarily agreeing fully that um near automata uh, near automata did automata. i get it uh, near automata um are necessarily an art game but that's fine um we're we're you know there's there's lots of different ways you can view this and we're going to talk about that moving like, forward uh, there is an argument to be made that it's uh, near automata is not necessarily an art game so much as it is games are art taken to a logical extreme yes like there is an argument there i don't agree and with as, it as we progress at, with video games as a medium we're getting closer to the point where uh games are just art like Again, near automata. As we progress as a medium, more games will be at that point where does it fit into the genre? Does it not? What I doesn't mean, fit into the genre? I would actually argue that games have been inherently art since at least the SNES era. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, but I, I, before then, I, I think there's an argument to be made that they're just kind of like there to be sold, like as products and shit. I'm not talking about again the the fact that games as in medium are art. I'm talking about games being like Journey. 
Right. I, I'd, I'd say that as we progress as a medium, more and more games will be art games. Like I like, see. Just as a medium, as it progresses, more and more things will get to the point where it's just art. And the art game uh, genre will be a footnote in the uh, what people used to call art games. <laughs> the, the 2012 art games genre that ceased to exist because all games became art right like hopefully Um, by 2025 this this argument this debate is meaningless because all games will just be recognized as art yeah so just a reminder again moving forward we're not talking about the fact that games are art we're talking about art games right so okay well that's that uh we went long we did go very long. This is our longest yet. We went yet. very long. Yeah. Let's let's um, go ahead and get our plugs out of the way, John. Uh, I'm not going to plug. You know where to find me. If you don't, uh, look me up. Great. <laughs> um, you can find me, Wombat, at, on Twitter at Video Game Wombat, or on Twitch at Wombat Millennial. Hopefully, I will be back to streaming soon. Um. If my cough doesn't affect me, I'll even get back to it this week. <laughs> All right. And, uh, hey, um, don't forget to rate this five to ten, whatever's the highest uh, stars. Two thumbs up. If there's up. a place that allows reviews, review it. I don't know if we're up on a place that allows reviews. I think iTunes me does. But uh, Hey, share this with someone you know who draws. 